Well, glad to have you here today. What a joy to watch as DJ and Claire were baptized. We're just excited for what God is doing. In fact, today is our annual general meeting, and so uh, rather than carrying on this week with our look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're actually going to pause, and I want to talk to you today about what God is doing in our church. You know, this is week 51 of doing online services. So literally next year will be one year since we began doing services online. And in this past year, God has done such a remarkable thing among us. You know, rather than withering under the pressure of COVID, God has moved us forward in ways that we never expected or even dreamed he would. And it's been so amazing to watch. It's as if he's got this plan for us as a church. And regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation around us, he and his grace is moving us forward. And he's inviting us to join him in what he's doing and just to, to go with him as he goes forward. Kind of reminds me of a, a trip I took with my family a number of years ago. We went down to Hawaii and we played on the beach because, of course, that's what you do in Hawaii. And we got a bunch of uh, boogie boards, which are kind of like mini surfboards. Uh, but instead of, you know, standing up on them, you just sort of ride on them on your chest, on your stomach as the wave takes you in. And so we'd go out into the water there and we kind of we bounce in, in, in the water as these sort of little waves came by. But when we saw a big wave coming, then we'd turn those boogie boards towards the shore and we'd begin paddling and there's water splashing in everywhere. And then the wave would come up behind us and it was kind of scary for just a second. And then all of a sudden we caught the wave. And man, then it was exhilarating. Then it was so much fun. And we just did it over and over. And it just reminds me, it makes me feel a little bit about what's happening around our church these days. It's like as if God is generating this wave. It's, it's his work that's happening. But, but, and we're kind of bouncing in the water, but we just want to make sure that we don't miss that wave. And, and so as we see that wave coming this way, as we see what God's doing, we begin to paddle and it's a lot of work and there's water splashing and it's a little scary. But when we catch the wave of what God's doing, when we begin to ride that thing, it's just so exhilarating. And frankly, it becomes a lot of fun. And it seems like that's what God's doing around here and among us in this season. And so to help us think practically about what that means for us, what that looks like for us, we want to look at an experience in Jesus' life when his ministry was just full of momentum. And we want to learn from that. And the story is found in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me. Luke chapter 19, and uh, in this, uh, at this stage in Jesus' ministry, you, there's this just buzz around Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds that are gathering, and, and people are healed, and, and lives are changed, and, and people are talking about it. But in this story, we see how Jesus acts in the middle of that kind of momentum, and, and it's instructive for us as a church, as we also sort of seem to go or want to go with the momentum that we see God producing around here. So let's read this story together and then we'll talk about what we should learn from it. Uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and as he is on his way, he passes through the city of Jericho. And this crowd gathers, and it's all the people you would expect. I mean, Young and old, rich and poor, the looky-loos, the religious people, the, the critics. I mean, everyone is there to see Jesus. But then there's this other guy that is there. His name is Zacchaeus, and he's not the guy that you would expect to come and see Jesus. In fact, Luke tells us three things about Zacchaeus. He tells us, first of all, that he was the chief tax collector. In other words, he was like sort of the district manager over the collecting of taxes in this very major, very significant city in those days. So that meant he would have had all kinds of employees that worked for him, and he would have hired and fired people, and, and he would have negotiated with the Roman government, and he would have put out fires. He would have done all the things that you do when you give leadership to a large, meaningful organization, which means, means of course, that he was an entrepreneur and a businessman and a natural leader. And a problem solver. I mean, this was a smart, smart guy. On the other hand, he had a couple things going against him. One, he chose to get into the tax business, which doesn't make you particularly popular with the people around you. And on top of that, he was collecting taxes for the Roman government. And of course, that was an oppressive foreign occupying power. So that made him doubly unpopular. So he had a few things going for him, a few things against him. It's the first thing that Luke tells us about him. Secondly, Luke tells us that he was rich. That's not a bad thing to be rich. He had all this money. Uh, now, that plus is that he was rich. The problem, again, in that world is that uh, if you didn't get your money handed down to you from your daddy, who had land, then you were considered sort of the nouveau rich. You kind of looked down on, like, you got your money the new way, not the, not the good way. Nevertheless, he was rich. The third thing that uh, Luke tells us about him is that he was small of stature. Now, obviously, that seems to suggest that he was a short person. Um, but there's another way of thinking about that. That same, that same Greek word could be translated not necessarily small in stature, but rather relatively young. So it's interesting to think about. It may be that he had been short, but, you know, lots of short, capable people can make their way through a crowd to the front to see what's going on. And it could well be that because he was young and rich and successful, and a tax collector, that the people just did not like him. And so literally the crowd kept forcing him so that he couldn't get close to see Jesus. It's interesting to think about uh, what was happening for him. Whatever the case was, he was on the periphery, on the edge of what was going on. But then if you think about it, Zacchaeus wasn't really the kind of guy that you would think would be interested in Jesus, or in faith, or in, in God. I mean, he just doesn't strike you as that kind of a person. And yet the reason that he was there is because God was at work in his heart and was drawing him there. See, he didn't want to just sort of catch a glimpse of Jesus over there in the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get up close and know who this person was. And so he sees which way Jesus is going, and he books it ahead. He finds a tree. He climbs up so that they can't sort of crowd him out. But what he doesn't know is that Jesus is on a quest to meet him. And when Jesus comes to where Zacchaeus is, he ignores the crowd. And instead, he looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I want to come and hang out at your place. Now, what Jesus does there is so 
counterintuitive. You would think that the right thing for Jesus to do with the ministry going with such momentum is to ignore the guy on the periphery and instead focus on the crowd that's all around him. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He ignores the crowd and instead he focuses on the guy on the periphery. Because you see, Jesus has lots of experience with crowds. And Jesus knows that crowds are ghost-like. They kind of form and appear out of nowhere and suddenly there's a crowd and it seems like all-consuming and then just as quickly they disperse and disappear and the crowd is gone. And Jesus knows that you can't build a ministry. You can't build a kingdom upon a crowd. A ministry or a kingdom is built person by person. And, and our vision here for us as a church is that our city would know Jesus. And sometimes the temptation for us is to think of the city as a crowd. I mean, we think sometimes, wouldn't it be great if we just invited everybody into our parking lot and then I climbed up on the very top of our new steeple? Starting to sound like a bad idea already, isn't it? And then I threw myself off the steeple and just before I plummeted to my death, the angels would appear and they'd catch me and lower me so gently down onto the pavement and everyone in our city would say, I want to follow Jesus. I mean, that's sort of what we secretly wish, right? That somehow they will just come and be part of us. And sometimes we get so caught up as, as Christians thinking about what they think, what the, what the public opinion about the church is, what our culture thinks about us. But Jesus didn't spend a lot of time worried about that. Jesus focused on the individual. Jesus focused on the person in whom God's spirit was already working even though they were on the periphery, and he invited them in, and he ignored the rest. And, and when people in whom God's Spirit is already working meet Jesus, he changes their lives. Now, of course, in our day, in our world, in Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows, it's not like Jesus is walking around. So the way that Jesus changes people's lives in this day is when they meet one of us. And when we invite them into our world and into our lives, and we go to where they are, and as a result, they meet Jesus and he change, changes her, their life. It happens person by person. And that's what's happening for us as a church. And it's just so amazing. I wish you were here just to hear the stories, but let me just share a couple of them. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, it was a beautiful summer day. Dana, who works here at the church, had gone to Costco to pick up some stuff for an event that we were having. And she was carrying it down into the basement of the church, uh, not through the stairs, but rather through the ramp that's outside. If you know the church, you know on the north side, there's a bit of a park area there. She's carrying it down there. and There's a couple of tables there. And sitting at one of these tables was these two ladies. And about her third trip in the hot sun, Dana said to these two ladies, pretty hot out here. Would you like a freezy? They're like, sure. So she went inside, they had a couple of freezies. She brought them out. She struck up a conversation with them. One of the ladies was a lady named Sue. Uh, Sue had been an executive in one of the big banks, uh, but she had been in a very traumatic, very significant car accident and was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And she was there on that day with a kind of social worker, counselor person who was helping her get over her anxiety of being around people. Dana struck up a conversation with Sue and began to talk and invited her into the church and invited her to to begin to participate with what's happening here. And she did. And she came. And she got connected into one of our Ridge communities. And she began to serve at the coffee bar. 
And, and now she's taking starting point, and God is doing beautiful things in her life. It's amazing. And what's fascinating about this story is that Sue, who's like new and kind of tentative about coming into church, uh, ended up meeting a lady named Val. Val and her husband moved here after spending, I think, 30-some years in another church in another place, and they moved to Maple Ridge, and were feeling a little disconnected, a little disoriented, a little all alone. And it was God who used Sue, of all people, to connect with Val and make her feel comfortable and, and connected to what's going on here. And it's such a beautiful picture of what God is doing, individual by individual, person by person, building his kingdom in this place. It's happening in all kinds of ways. You know, this past uh, week, or two weeks ago, actually, uh, we asked our Ridge communities to take the week off and to just spend the, the time that they would have spent together in community just connecting with somebody who doesn't run in Christian circles. Just, just building a relationship with them and, you know, just getting to know them better. Going out into their world. And uh, this past week, in my uh, Ridge community, we got together and we said, so, how did it go? It was so cool to hear the stories. You know, one of the couples in our group had just moved into a new neighborhood. And so they went out. And they just met a bunch of brand new neighbors who were also moving into the neighborhood. And one of them was a Christian couple, but there was a bunch of couples that weren't. And, and they made some really cool kind of connections with them. It was just exciting to hear. Another couple shared how they, you know, reconnected with one of their siblings that they hadn't been in touch with for a while. And, and with a friend that they had this long-term relationship with, but they just kind of stoked that relationship. And then one of the couples in our, uh, in our group said, oh, well, a couple of years ago, one of the, the ladies on their block, one of the elderly ladies, uh, her husband died. And they went and they began to just care for her, uh, help her get groceries and fix things around their house. And just, I mean, they just loved on her. And about two years in, one day, uh, the, the lady from our church just was, had been praying and she's like sensing God saying, this is the time. And so she sat down with this elderly lady and shared her faith. And that lady gave her life to Jesus. She's following Jesus to this day. It's just so cool to see these stories, again, person by person, individual by individual. And sometimes in the most unexpected places. You know, I was talking to another person in our church uh, just recently, and they'd been talking to their brother on the phone. Their brother is not a believer at all. And, and, uh, and, and they'd been chatting for a while, and, and he's like, he's like, I've got to turn this conversation to something about God. And so he said at one point, he, you know, well into the conversation, he said, hey, have, have you ever thought about what happens after this life? And his brother said to him, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. And he's like, okay, tell me more. And, and they ended up in this half-hour conversation about his questions about spirituality and about Jesus and faith. And he had hard questions, and rightfully so. I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus, you should ask hard questions. And they had this beautiful conversation. And at the end, he's like, I don't know all the answers. I'll think about it and let's talk again. And they're going to go back and he's going to have another conversation with his brother, with his brother about spiritual things, about what God's doing. And it's just, you know, in some of the most unexpected places and in some of the most unexpected ways where you think that maybe God's not working, it turns out that he's at work. And he's working in the individual in individuals' lives. And that's how we're going to reach our city for Jesus. Not the big city out there, but person by person, individual by individual. See, here's, here's the first thing that we learn from 
the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And that says, Jesus calls individuals, not crowds. So the question is this, who in your world is Jesus drawing into your orbit? Who is, who is in your world that Jesus wants you to go back and continue to build a relationship with? And just a genuine friendship because you like that person. Follow up and begin to, to do that. You know, Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he doesn't start by sharing the four spiritual laws. He doesn't start by telling him deep theology. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your place and hang out. And in fact, uh, that, that's what he does. He invites himself over for dinner. Look at verses 5 to 7. It says this. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Huh. Here's the second thing that we see when it comes to how Jesus acts. Jesus takes risks to reach people. You know, the safe thing for Jesus to do would have been to say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have a meeting tomorrow, mostly with people who believe and are following me, and I want to invite you to come, just stand at the back of the crowd. You can listen a little bit, see if you like it, and then, and then you can come. That would have been the safe thing to do. But Jesus doesn't take the safe way. He risks. He's like, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your place. I want to hang out with your crowd. I, I want to be in your world. And the danger was that he might have been judged, and in fact, he was. People said, look at what Jesus is doing, hanging out with sinners. You know, it's risky to reach out to people. It's risky in the middle of a conversation with your brother that's going so well to turn the corner and begin to ask questions about faith. I mean, the danger is that goes bad. It's risky to, to meet your neighbors and to offer to get involved in their world, to offer friendship, because they might reject that. It's risky for us as a church to, to change how we do things, to try different things, because maybe it doesn't work out. Plus, maybe we've always done it the way that we did it, and now we're doing it differently. And yet when we take risks so that we can reach people with the good news of the message of Jesus Christ, then we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Then we do what he did. Because when we take risks, it causes us to trust God. It causes us to pray more. And when those risks turn into rewards, that's God's credit. It's God's glory because he made happen what probably otherwise wouldn't have happened. Plus, you know, if we aren't willing to take the risk to go into the world of the people that we want to share the good news with, what makes us think that they're going to take a risk to come into our world? Because, of course, faith is such a personal thing. It's pretty risky. The question is, how are, we gonna, how, are we gonna, how are they gonna know if we don't go to them? And again, as we look back over this year as a church, we've had to take all kinds of risks and try all kinds of new things. And we've prayed a lot and trusted a lot. And God has honored that in all kinds of beautiful ways. You know, I mentioned multiple times how us doing church online, although it's been difficult and challenging, has also resulted in the door opening up for us to connect with people who otherwise would have never darkened the door of our church. And as if you've watched over the course of these last 51 weeks, you've noticed that the production value of our services has gone up and up and up. And the reason we've done that is because we want to reach people with where they're at. In the digital world, if we show up and the, the kind of production that we have is poor quality, the, my, my lips are different than the words you're hearing on the screen, or the angles are awkward and embarrassing, the camera angles, 
or the lighting is poor or dim, if somehow it looks like in the marketplace of ideas that we don't even have the ability to make sort of a basic good quality production, then before a word is even out of our mouth, people write us off. Now, the danger with making those kinds of changes and risking that kind of thing is that people can begin to misunderstand. They can begin to think that somehow we think that production quality is going to change people's lives. It's not the case at all. The message of Jesus, the, the picture of what he's done in our lives, the, the, the work of the Spirit in their life, that's what changes people's lives. But how we communicate, how we do that is important. And so we take that risk, and the risk is worth it. Because you know what? We have this vision to see our city know Jesus. But you know, it isn't just in the production area that we have taken risks. This fall, you know, we did our, our drive forward, drive through in the parking lot. Many of you came and drove through the parking lot, and that was a risk, you know. I mean, we, we'd never done anything like that before. Took a lot of work and planning, and we didn't know if any of you were even going to show up. But you did. And people were connected and, and encouraged, and the sense of community, which is what we were shooting for, happened. And actually, just uh, two or three weeks ago, I was talking to someone who said, that drive through was the best. I loved it because I got to connect from my car with all kinds of people. Taking the risks for the sake of the gospel is well worth it. And even at Christmas time, at Christmas time, you know, Anna, uh, our children's ministry director, made these boxes and, uh, to give to families uh, to help their kids learn about Jesus. They were kind of expensive to make and to produce. And, and she's like, I want to make 50 of these. And I, she's, she knew. But I was like, ah, oh, that's, you know, that's a lot. And, and then... And then we want people to pay for them because it's expensive. And it was a risk because we could have ended up with 48 boxes that weren't used. And again, Anna was confident. I was the one who was a little nervous. But you know, people came. And not only did they buy boxes for their family so their family could learn more about Jesus, their kids, but they bought boxes for their neighbors. And they gave them as gifts to their neighbors so that they could build connections and that their kids could at least begin to learn about Jesus. And it was beautiful. And it was a risk because it's for the sake of what God wants to do in our city. Now, not every risk that we took worked out. I mean, at Halloween, we tried to do a drive through the parking lot again. Didn't matter what we did. It just kept falling apart. Ultimately, we had to, we had to cancel that thing. But so often, so often this past year when we have taken risks, for the sake of the gospel, God has honored our wrists and he's opened up opportunities for us to see seeds planted and for the gospel to go forward. But it means changes. It means doing things differently. And one of my concerns for us is that because we don't meet every week, because we don't bump into one another in the hallways or visit in the lobby, one of my concerns is that with all of the changes and all the sort of shifts, that some people will start to wonder if, Things haven't passed them by. If maybe, you know, there's been so many changes that that's not really a place that I belong be now and I don't know if I've fit in there and, and I don't know if this is right for me. Listen, nothing could be further than the truth. More than ever, we need you to join us in what God is calling us to do in this place and in this time. Look, there's always going to be changes here. It's actually part of the history of our church. You know, this church is 100 and nine years old, which is really rare. I think 3% of churches grow to be more than 100 years old. Most start, kind of grow, plateau, because they can't change, and then they slowly fade away. But this church, this church has ministered 
the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city, in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows, for over 100 years because we've always kept our eye on the ball. We've always kept the saving power of Jesus as central to the message. But throughout the years, we've always changed just a little bit, kept tweaking how it is that we engage the culture around us. So important. Look, if we were still, if we were still doing church the way we did in the 1930s or the 1950s, or even the way we were doing it in the 1990s, we would be in trouble because our culture continues to change. But we haven't. We continue to go forward. We continue to take risks for the sake of the gospel. See, this is what Jesus does. He takes risk and he goes to Zacchaeus' place. We don't know what happened there. We don't know the kind of conversation Jesus had and what he said, but we do know the outcome because Luke tells us what happens next. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. When Zacchaeus meets Jesus, Jesus changes his life. And you look at what what Zacchaeus did. Jesus, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't, Hey, Zacchaeus, if you would just say a little prayer and make a vague commitment to follow God and, and sort of decide to come to church once in a while, that would be great. Mm-mm. Whatever it is that Jesus said, whatever it was, it called Zacchaeus to a deep commitment to follow him. In the most important place in his life, in the place that he had built his career and his reputation and his life on, which was his money. And so Zacchaeus, in front of his friends, gets up and he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, half of the most important thing that I've built my life around, I give half to you. And if I've cheated anyone four times, I'll pay them back. It's unbelievable the kind of transformation that comes in Zacchaeus' life in the most important place because of what happens when he meets Jesus. You see, Jesus never soft-pedaled his call on people's lives. He didn't ask for half-hearted commitment. He invited Zacchaeus to go all in in the most important place. And This is the point. Jesus calls people to a deep, deep commitment to follow him. And again, we as a church are following in Jesus' footsteps. The call on you and me as part of this church is not sort of a half-hearted, vague commitment to God and maybe to show up at church once in a while and see if it's what I like. The call is to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, to take up our cross, to, to join what God is doing in this place and through us at this time. The call uh, on us is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. The call is to be patient and to be kind in a harsh culture, to have a firm center and soft edges and to practice biblical, restorative, confrontational, beautiful goodness the way that God calls us to. Look, that's the call always from Jesus to us. Jesus expects us to live that way. And when we live that way, both individually, but corporately together as the body of Jesus in this place, it's a powerful picture of what God is doing in the world around us. Which leads actually to the next thing that Jesus says. In verse 9, he says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Interesting what he says here. You know, Zacchaeus obviously was Jewish. I mean, he was obviously a son of Abraham. But because he had been a tax collector, because he was a tax collector, 
Uh, the Jewish people treated him like he wasn't Jewish, like he was Roman, a, a traitor to them. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Because he has given his life to follow me, because of the salvation that's come in his life, he's part of the people of God. You see, this is what Jesus does uh, whenever somebody call, follows him. He calls them into community. Here's, the, here's the, the next point. Jesus places us together in community. You know, I am more and more convinced all the time of the importance of us walking together as followers of Jesus in community. You know, we live in this culture that is so individualistic, where it's always about what I want, when I want, the way I want, so I can become who I want. The problem for you and I as a follower of Jesus is that that is not only counter to the teachings of Jesus, but at the same time, the, the cultural current in that direction is so powerful that if we don't continue to walk together in community, we'll simply be swept away in the, in the current of our culture. And the result will be either some watered-down quasi-version of Christianity, cultural Christianity, or else abandoning our faith altogether. Trevor Wax speaks about why this is the case for so many college students, uh, Christian students who go to college, and why they walk away from their faith. He says this, It's not the aggressive atheist professor who is most likely to persuade young Christian college students to leave their faith. It is more likely to be the subtle yet powerful presence of a community that lives without question according to this progressive view of the world. The reason some kids abandon their faith is not because they go to college, but because they stop going to church. They immerse themselves in a world with different assumptions, rituals, and beliefs. The church becomes something for the holidays. But the opposite is also true. When people walk in a community who live counterculturally, who counterform the lives of the individuals in it because they are committed to following Jesus, that also shapes and changes people in a powerful but totally different way than the culture around us. He goes on to say this, do not underestimate the power of the church. One of the best ways to keep our kids and engage unbelievers is simply to invite them to see the community of faith in worship and in action. It's not that the church replaces other rational strategies and arguments for belief in God, but rather the church becomes the atmosphere, the teller of a better story, a story whose truth begins to work on the hearts of all who experience it. You see, being in community is so vital for us because it's that community of people walking together, following Jesus together that shapes us and forms us and helps us follow Jesus in the midst of a very different culture that we live in. And again, over this past year, it has been profound. Even as we have been sort of prohibited from being together in person, it's been amazing to see how so many people in our church have embraced being in community and have engaged in community online and have, have joined together for the encouragement of one another, for the going deeper in their understanding of Jesus and for walking together. And I want to ask you, if you're part of our church and not in community somewhere, that you would find that place and join community. Because see, this is what we're about, all about. Jesus, community, city. And community is right in the middle of everything, of Jesus and city. And so it's so important that everyone who calls Ridge home is somewhere connected in community. Plus, plus community is a powerful way to impact the culture around us. And in his book, uh, A Creative Minority, 
John Tyson argues that we as the church should begin to look at ourselves as just that, as a creative minority. You know, we're coming out of this phase in church history where we were sort of this sort of large cultural institution that could kind of speak into the world around us and they would have to at least adjust a little bit for what we said. It's not the case anymore. Instead, he argues that as a, as a minority that's creative in how we go about engaging our culture, we can see profound changes in our world nonetheless. In fact, he points to some uh, other minorities, creative minorities, that have done that very thing. He, he points to the, uh, the black community in the 50s and 60s, how they changed the American culture. He points to the LGBTQ plus community that has had such a profound impact upon our culture over the past 40 to 50 years. And then he gives some examples of the kind of Christian communities that have existed in the past that have changed the world. Obviously, the early church being the best example of that. But he points to the Moravians and then also to a community of believers called the Clapham sect in the late 1700s, early 1800s in England. This was a community of Christians who committed to walk together to follow Jesus together and who set their, their hearts and their minds on having a profound impact on the culture around them. And probably the most famous member of that community was a guy named William Wilberforce. And he, together with those that he walked together with, they stood up against slavery in the British Empire, which at that time was the most powerful nation in the world. And there was profound opposition to what he was trying to do because slavery was widely held by the, the British people and it was key to the economic system of the day. But the men and women of the Clapham Society who covenanted to walk together in community they set out on the task that they believed Jesus had set before them. And they followed Jesus deeply. And along the way through their campaigning, they saw the, eventually the passing of what was known as the Slave Trade Act in 1807. And in 1833, the Slave Abolition Act. They transformed British, the British culture, just this small group of people. It was profound. But it wasn't just that. Because of their commitment to Jesus and to one another, they're also credited with founding the British and Foreign Bible Society, the Church Missionary Society, the Anti-Slavery Society, the Abolition Society, the Proclamation Society, the Sunday School Society, the Bettering Society, and the Small Debt Society. In fact, that small group of deeply committed Christians walking together in community were uh, responsible in large part for what became known as the Victorian Morals. The, uh, the uh, historian Stephen Michael Tompkins writes, the ethos of the Clapham uh, Society became the spirit of the age. It's amazing what a small group of people deeply committed to following Jesus can do. Although we as a church don't hold this powerful place in society, let's never underestimate the power of what God can do through us as we walk together and follow Jesus. As Margaret Mead uh, once wrote, Never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. You know, God has given us this vision that our city would know Jesus. Let's not underestimate what he can do, what he wants to do through us as together we follow him. Okay, then the last words of Jesus in this story are in verse 10. He says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do. In uh, 1936, Leslie Newbegin uh, left his native England. He went to be a missionary in India. 
And for almost the next 40 years, he served in a land that knew very little about Jesus and, and, uh, and shared the message of the gospel. But in the mid-1970s, he returned back to his homeland, to England. And when he came back, he was shocked. In those almost 40 years, the nation that he had grown up had shifted in large way away from a, a biblical worldview. And the church in England in that day was a little panicked. They were fearful of what the future held, and they were nostalgic for the past. And Leslie Newbegin, who knew what it was like to share the gospel in a culture that wasn't so biblically based, became a bit of a prophetic voice. And he warned them about fearing the future, and he warned them about looking just to a nostalgic past. This is what, this is what he writes. He says, the real question is, what is God doing in these tremendous events of our time? How are we to understand them and to interpret them to others so that we may and that they may play our part in them as co-workers with God? Nostalgia for the past and fear for the future are equally out of place for the Christian. He or she is required in the situation in which God places them to understand the signs of the times in light of the reality of God's present and coming kingdom and to give their witness faithfully about the purpose of God for all men. Leslie Newbegin says, don't, don't, don't pine for some nostalgic past that is left. But don't fear the future either. The question for us is, what is it that God is doing right here and right now? That's where we want to be involved. And that's the invitation today. The wave, what God is doing. We don't want to just be bobbing in the water and kind of watch it pass us by. Rather, we want to paddle like crazy. We want to get a little wet as we do it. Get a little scary as it starts. But then we want to see as God works in our world right here and changes people's hearts and lives. And when that happens, it's going to be so exhilarating. And it's frankly going to be so much fun. You know, I got a call a couple of weeks ago, just out of the blue at the church. A guy phoned me up. He said, hey, uh, you don't know me, but have you paid off the building construction that you're doing? I said, no, we're, we're still raising funds for that. He's like, okay, can I come see you? I said, sure. And he showed up a few days later, he and his son, and they came down to my office, and I told them what we were doing and what God was doing around here. We visited for about an hour. And at the end, he and his son made a, a significant contri contribution to our building campaign here. And then as he was walking up the stairs, as I was kind of seeing him out the door, he said, when COVID's over, we're going to join you. We, we're going to join what God's doing here. Well, where does that come from? How does that happen? That's just God's grace. And he keeps doing that kind of thing among us. Listen, the call today to you and I is like, let's join what God's doing. Well, what's the next step that God is calling you to do as we go forward in this day, in this time? Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you watched a DJ and Claire get baptized. And you're like, oh, yeah, yes. Yes, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to publicly declare in obedience to Christ, I follow Jesus. Send us a note. We'll walk you through it. It'll be a beautiful thing, a moment in your life that you will never forget. And some of you need to become members. You, you've been around here for a while. You're like, yeah, we like it. We're, we're in. Great. Come to the membership class. I'm going to host one on uh, Monday, March 8th in the evening, a Zoom class. And it'd be a chance for you to say, yes, we know what's going on. Behind the scenes, we're in. And some of you, you simply need to get into community. It's what we're doing around here. And you've kind of been on the periphery and you're always on the edge. And it's kind of a risk to get into community. 
take the risk. Find a place where you are known and where you know others and where you can follow Jesus together. And some of you need to continue building relationships. In fact, you need to double down on your relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Because God is at work in their lives and he's going to use you by his grace and through the power of the Spirit at work in them to draw them to Jesus. And some of you, like Zacchaeus, need to give the the most important part of your world, the, the money part of your world. You need to begin to give towards the mission that God has given us here. And you need to say, God, this thing, I'm just going to trust you with this thing and allow God to work in your life. Look, the call today is to put your hand to the plow and to not look back, to put your shoulder to the wheel, to not worry about kind of the little things that maybe bother you a little bit about this or that, and instead to catch a vision for what God is doing here and to join us as together we go where he's calling us. The call is to take some risks, to go deeper in your walk with with, with Jesus. The call is to be together in community and then to watch, to join us as person by person. God builds his kingdom here because our vision is that our city would know Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for what you've called us to. God, that you didn't call us to some sort of boring, mundane do a little of this, a little of that, but you called us to this adventure. You called us to step out in faith, to sacrifice, to make commitments, to watch and see as we take risks for the kingdom of God and watch what you do. And God, you honor us when we do that, not for our sake, but for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom. And lives are changed and, and people are drawn to you and, and the city is transformed. And so God, we just pray again as we move forward in these days, Still in the middle of COVID, Father, as we move faithfully forward, that you would go before us. But God, that we wouldn't miss what you're calling us to, that we wouldn't miss where you're moving, but rather that we'd be right in the middle of it. Sometimes scary, sometimes messy, but also so exhilarating and just downright fun. And so God, we commit ourselves to you today, both individually, but together, corporately, as Ridge Church, and say, God, we're going to follow you wherever you lead us. And so we thank you, and we look forward to, God, what you're going to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.